Hey guys, why don't you come on in and sit down, high schoolers, because you're going to want to hear this. And then uh, when, when Nate is done, then you can go back and have fun and uh, duct tape Roy to the wall. <clears throat> Before we get started in our, our, our main part of our service today, I would like to introduce you to somebody that's been ministering behind the scenes uh, for the last eight years at uh, 59th Avenue in Union Hills at our skater ministry, uh, Left Hand Thief. He's been very faithful, but he worked, he has worked always on Sundays, so you guys have never seen him, but he's listening to the services or has been listening to the services at home. Um, Nate, come on up. This is Nate Irby, everybody. Um, I've known Nate since he was knee-high to a grasshopper when he uh, was brought to church by his mom and dad all wrapped up in swaddling clothes, okay? And I am very thankful for his work at Left Hand Thief, and he'll explain to you what that's all about because uh, my heart's desire is to reach kids of all ages, and there's a group of kids who have been marginalized, set aside by society, and uh, we have an opportunity, and we've been faithful at it, and that's one of the things that I commend you as a church for, is that we have been faithful at this, where a lot of churches will go to a place, they will get the word out, but then they're gone, and they're not there to develop the relationships. Yeah, but Left Hand Thief has been all about developing the relationship. So, so Nate, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about what you do out there? So, essentially, we just go out there and we love on these kids. And we, uh, we kind of developed the name Left Hand Thief to kind of ask the question, you know, uh, why do you guys call yourself thieves? You know? And the reality is, is when Cross was being crucified, he was between two criminals. There was one criminal that decided, hey, not for God, I'm going to mock him, and kind of turned his way from God, and uh, the other thief started to kind of mock him, but then realized within the six hours of being on my cross with Jesus that, hey, this guy is who he says he is, and he decided just to ask him, hey man, remember me when you go to your kingdom, and Jesus turned to him and said, hey, today you're going to be with me in paradise, so that kind of speaks about all, all of us and kind of where we started. We can either choose to kind of be for God or against God. Thank you. Um, by the way, I think people should know that you do have a daytime job, right? I do. I worked at Leslie's Pools um, for the past seven years. Um, seven years with even Shasta Pools before that, so I've been doing this for half my life. Um, <laughs> I uh, worked my way up through the ranks, and now I'm managing a store off of Tatum and Greenland. Awesome. Praise the Lord. There you go. Tell us a little bit about how you came to know Christ. Um, so I was, uh, it kind of all starts when I was born. Um, the Lord uh, put me in a, a, a place where my mom wasn't able to take care of me, so I was uh, put up for adoption. And then uh, I was put into a, or adopted by a family that just kind of had God's best interest for my life and their mindset. And they ended up taking me to, um, in the mid-90s, um, the Harvest Crusades. And uh, um, I remember the altar call just kind of just popped in after uh, hearing even Chuck Smith kind of get up there and do his thing. 
And I just remember uh, um, thinking, you know, hey, Dad, I, I want to go up there. And uh, he kind of asked me why I wanted to go up there. And I said, because I want to ask the Lord into my heart. Um, and I was really, really young. Um, and then later on in life, like if we fast forward a little bit, um, I essentially kind of started kind of holding this thing a little bit farther from my heart. I started kind of doing things that I shouldn't have. I knew I shouldn't have even looking at the past, uh, um, um, there's things that I didn't even at the time think I was doing wrong, but now I know I was doing things wrong. And so I started kind of thinking about putting this thing closer to my heart, and here I am today. Awesome. We're thankful for that. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about the kids that you minister to at Left Hand Thief. So these kids, uh, like you were saying, they, they've been overlooked by, by the community in general. Um, they just think of us as like punk kids on skateboards, you know, trespassing and just doing bad things, and it's kind of true to some extent, but the Lord has grace for even us as skaters, um, and so the Lord really put it on my heart to, to kind of go out there to the skate park and just minister to these kids and love on them. Yeah, yeah, tell us about your life verses there, because um, so it's connected. It all kind of starts at Genesis 1-1, because uh, um, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and that kind of puts me in a spot where I know something's bigger than me, and I know I was created, and I was created for a purpose. Um, then another one that's kind of corny, but it's something that I kind of learned at a really young age is um, John 3:16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that's something that just stands strong um, in my life in general, and just keeps me grounded. And then another one I would say would be. Um, uh, Philippians uh, 4.13, um, um, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's another one that just kind of grounds me and just keeps me going. And there's uh, 31,000 other verses that I would say would be life verses as well, but some of okay. those I don't have memorized. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. Um, your best trick. I wouldn't say it's like a best trick, but it's my favorite trick, and that would be a 180 onto a ledge, 50-50 for a while, or grinding, and then 180 back off, which means that I'm doing a full 360, it seems to kind of get me a lot of claps. And Anybody like, understand this? <laughs> yeah, okay. It gets a lot of claps and cheers, right? <laughs> right? It does, it does. Well, Nate, um, on behalf of the church here, we are so thankful for you. I mean. Not, you are part of our family. You're part of us. I think your support too. Yeah. We, we really, really, really are thankful that God is raising up another generation of those who will reach out to the lost and preach the gospel. And um, I've been watching you for a few years, and I see that you're a solid young man, solid in doctrine and solid in teaching. So uh, you're good for ministry. And uh, pastors always love that, I tell you. Yeah, you love people that are good for ministry. So, um, Roy, would you come up here and let's pray for Nate? And could we all stand, please? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for the work that you're doing through Nate. Lord, at the, at the skate park, at his workplace, even here at church, Lord, as he ministers to everybody around him. Lord, we know that, that he takes seriously your word. How many young men would dedicate every Monday night for seven years to leading others to the Lord and telling others about the, about you, Lord, and preparing Bible studies? Father, we just we just pray for the um, 
strength that you've given me so far, and we pray that you would renew his strength. That you would give him, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give him exactly what he needs to continue to do the ministry that you've called him to. We thank you for his heart, for the lost, Lord. We thank you for his um, obedience to what you've called him to, and we pray that you would continue it, Lord. We just pray your, your spirit over him. We pray that you would um, guide him and strengthen him, Lord, the, that he would know that none of the things that he is doing for you, Lord, and for the, for the right motives, none of those things are going to perish. They're going to go into eternity. And the seeds that he's planting out at the skate park, Lord, whether or not he sees them grow into fruit, they are planted. Lord, I think of Corinthians where your word tells us one person plants the seed, another person waters the seed, but you alone, Lord, you alone are the one who can cause the growth. So, Lord, we pray for that growth, and we pray for continued ministry in Nate's life, Lord. We lift him up to you. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Nate. God bless you, buddy. Thank you. All right, you may be seated. And kids, you can go be tortured in that other room. Um, all right. Lori, are you here? No, she's not, so I'll do it. We all stand in honor of God's word, please. And we're going to be in Psalm 119, starting at verse, thank you, Quinn. tell me again, thank you, all right, just remind ourselves that we do this so that we can focus our attention on the God we worship. I cry out with my whole heart. Hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cry out to you, save me, and I will keep your testimonies. I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I, I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches that I may meditate on your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Revive me according to your justice. They draw near who follow after wickedness. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. Let's pray. We give thanks to you, God, for moving in young people's hearts like Nate to minister to those that in our culture might be considered the least of these. But to you, all souls are precious, created in your image. And it is not your desire that any should perish, but all should come to repentance, to the knowledge of the truth. Thank you for putting that in the heart of a young man like Nate to go and do that. Thank you for Lord, his mother, who, who gave him up for adoption, we know that that could have gone in a totally different direction. And thank you for, for Marion and Roger, who, who adopted him and raised him, Lord, and nurtured him in you. So we see the, the evidence of a godly heritage, Lord, in this young man. 
And now we come corporately to sit at your feet, to uh, dine with you, if you will, on your word. You tell us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So feed us this morning, Lord. Feed us well. And may we enjoy the company of your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. All right. One of our family's more favorite movies, we have lots of favorites, but is this one is, has a particular nice place in our hearts. It's called The Princess Bride. Anybody heard of The Princess Bride? Yeah? All right. And there's a lot of good quotes in that movie, aren't there? Right. A lot of good quotes. Uh, one of our favorites is uh, Vincini, who is the mastermind of this plot to kidnap the Princess Buttercup and start a war between two kingdoms. And as he's taking her from her home to this other kingdom, he uh, is being pursued by the man in black. And uh, the, the first they're in a boat, and his boat, the man in black's boat, is gaining on him. And as he sees that, he says, inconceivable, right? They get to this tall cliff about 200 feet straight up, and they've got, of course, Andre the Giant, one of his minions, and he's carrying everybody on his back as he climbs up the rope. But the man in black is keeping up with him. He gets up at the top, and he goes, inconceivable, all right? And then they cut the rope. Remember that? They cut the rope, and he goes off the side. So they figure that the man in black is now plunged to his death. But nope, he's caught on a ledge, and he says, inconceivable. And here's the quote. Vincini says, or not Vincini, but uh, Inigo Montoya looks at him and says, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. We have a word that we have been using in the last few Sundays of teaching and prayer through the tabernacle, the word intimacy, the word intimacy. And I want you to be sure to know what it means. You can overuse a word, can't you? You can use it to the point where it just has no effect, no power, no impact. But intimacy, you have this, this great opportunity to have intimacy with your creator, with God. The Cambridge Dictionary defines intimacy as the state of having a close personal relationship. Relationship that is cordial, inseparable, friendly, harmonious, hospitable, personable. It's a welcoming, warm touch. That sound like something that's pretty cool? Yeah, I think so too. Intimacy is kind of like that. And we're learning how to have an intimate fellowship with our God by praying through the tabernacle. You remember what the tabernacle is? It's that portable worship center constructed by the children of Israel under the guidelines given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. Uh, we, we know that um, it, we, we all, there's only one gate that you can enter through, and we enter that gate, and in our time of fellowship with God, we intentionally give him thanksgiving and praise. Enter his gates with thanksgiving in our hearts. Enter his courts with praise. 
thanking him for what he has done and does do, praising him for who he is, his character and his attributes. And we do that because it's important that we be reminded of who it is we're talking to in a way we need to recognize because we need to reverence him and also have confidence in him. This is the God who is for you, not against you. All right, can you tattoo that on your heart here for a moment? This is a God who is for you, not against you. You're not going into the tabernacle so that you can appease him. That's what the pagans would do with their food offerings and sacrifices, appease the gods. But you're going in there to have intimate fellowship, all right? Then we went to the brass altar. And at the brass altar, it's also known as the altar of burnt offering, and it's where sacrifices were made to atone for sin. So here we confess specific sins because that's the only thing from this point that can keep you from fellowship with God. You've entered into his courts through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have access to him, but, you know, he tells us in Isaiah that his ears aren't deaf, that he can't hear you. His arms aren't the short little T-Rex arms, that he can't help you. But it's your sins that have separated you. Sometimes he'll hold you at arm's length because there's issues you haven't dealt with yet. So we confess specific sins, and we also confess that we're forgiven because that's another thing that will keep you from the presence of God is your own heart condemning you for the things that you've done in the past that you've already apologized for and confessed and been forgiven for, but you won't let it go. Somehow you and Elsa have never crossed paths, okay? <clears throat> and this is also the place where you... You forgive others. That's a big one with God. You know that. That's a big one. Jesus himself said, if you will not forgive your brother from your heart, neither will your heavenly father forgive you. He also said that he would hand you over to the torturers. And that's a, that's a harsh thing to think about. But basically, I don't know of any more tortured people than those who are just bitter and won't forgive. And this is also the place where you commit yourself as a living sacrifice. You're ready now to let him call the shots in your life for that day or, for, you know, for, well, for your life. And to be obedient to accept his answers to the prayers you're going to be offering up. And then after that, we come to the brass laver. And the brass laver was the place where the priest would wash their hands and their feet and then go into the holy place to minister and to do their ministry. And here, we, and, and we know that in, in, a, in um, Ephesians chapter 5, it tells us that we are washed by the water of the word. Jesus said himself, you are now clean through the word which I have spoken to you. So the labor speaks to me of the word of God and let it purify and cleanse my motives, my understanding of who God is and what he wants. And I'm going to, from this point forward, in all of my prayers, bathe it in the word of God. All of my prayers. My, my, and, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to go into the Holy of Holies. And the next thing we come to is the table of showbread. If you remember, the, there's the, this thing called the tent of meeting in the tabernacle. And it's basically a tent that has two sections in it. The first section that we are going into today is called the holy place. This is where the priests are going to minister and where we will minister in prayer. 
And then there is another section in the back of it that is the most holy place or the holy of holies where the Ark of Covenant is, is furnished or is set and the Shekinah glory of God is present there. And it's a very serious and it's a very awesome place. The high priest is the only one that can enter there at this time. Um, and he can only do that once a year. And he had better have all of the atonement done for his sins because if he goes in there and he is not clean and pure, he will be struck dead. Now, there's something... Um, well, I'll come to that in a moment. So let's turn to Exodus 25, verse 23. And let's look at the structure. And then we will get into the symbolism and then we'll get into the shoe leather which is the application. Exodus 25, <clears throat> You shall make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. You shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are on its four legs. The rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table may be carried with them. You shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. You shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. If you're highlighting in your Bible, I would specifically highlight that verse. Verse 30, you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. You've entered into this tent of meeting, into the holy place. You look to your right, which is the north, and there is this little table made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. It's three feet long. It's one foot six inches wide, and it's two feet three inches high. So it's really not much more than an end table or a night table. You know, it's just a small, tiny little thing. And it had rings and poles, which were necessary to carry it, and all the pans and dishes and so forth. But the purpose of the table is found in verse 30. It says, you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. What was the showbread? Well, there are 12 loaves of bread. And when you think of loaves, don't think of Wonder Bread or Aunt Hattie's or any of that. These are like giant Frisbees uh, of, of loaves that would be stacked uh, side by side. Six on one side, six on the other sides. And they represented the 12 tribes of Israel. The bread was to be made fresh every week. And the attending priest would eat the old bread and replace it with the fresh bread. Now that term, showbread, if you're making notes in your margin, put this, it is also known as the bread of faces or the bread of his presence. Okay? It's associated with and to be eaten before the face of God in the holy place each Sabbath by the priests who are on duty. I hope you can see the analogy there. 
He's communing with his people. He's dining with his people. John MacArthur said, This showbread was not set out in order to feed Israel's God, like unlike food placed in pagan shrines and temples, but to acknowledge that the 12 tribes were sustained constantly under the watchful eye and care of their Lord. Remember, the children of Israel wandered around the desert for how long? 40 years. When's the last time you did anything for 40 years, right? I've taught some, some classes that lasted 40 years during an hour, but <laughs> every morning when they got up, they walked outside and they saw manna, bread from heaven, right? So this commemorates that bread for, from heaven for all of the tribes of Israel. Now, what is bread good for? For feeding ducks, right? It's necessary for survival. And the link here is a reminder that fellowship with God is just as necessary for man. Again, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, right? And when the disciples came back and saw Jesus ministering to the woman at the Samaritan well, and they, and they went and got food, but, he, you know, he says, you're not hungry anymore? Why? So well, I have bread that you don't know of. Well, did somebody get you a McDonald's Happy Meal while we were gone? He says, no. The will is doing, my, my, my meat, my bread is doing the will of the Father. So, bread, this bread is a reminder that fellowship with God is necessary. And it's notable when you're describing the furniture of the tabernacle, that if you look at verses 10 through 22, it's describing the Ark of the Covenant first. Remember? That place where the Shekinah glory dwelt. But the second thing that is described is what? The table of showbread. The bread of the presence. All right? So symbolically, it typifies communion and fellowship a transcendent God wanting to fellowship with his people. Now then it was only the priests that were in attendance, right? But we know that we are all in Christ, a kingdom of priests. So, guys, you get to eat the bread. You should be eating the bread. Now, turn to John chapter 6, and we're going to see that this showbread also typifies Jesus Christ. as the bread which came from heaven. Look at John 6, 32. He's talking to a group of people that he just fed out of a sack lunch. They want to make him king. And he says, you know, no, it's not the time for that. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here, right? And they, they say, well, you know, if you, if, you're the, if you are the Messiah, so to speak, then show us a sign. And then they gave him a hint, you know, because Moses, he gave the people of Israel manna from heaven. In other words, more food, please. More food, please. It's like having a house full of hungry teenagers, right? Never enough. Jesus said to them in verse 32, most assuredly, I say to you, 
Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. <coughs> For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, well, give us that bread always. And he said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. What's he saying? Well, he says, the, the bread that you are really looking for here, people, is that gnawing in your soul, the hunger pains that are gripping your soul, the dissatisfaction you feel in your heart, the emptiness of your life. I am the bread of life. Remember in, in Matthew 6, 33, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. That's what he's talking about. The food, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. All of those things is what the Gentiles seek after they said, but you seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added to you. And when he says seek the kingdom of God, he's talking about himself. He is. He is what's to be sought. Now turn to Revelation chapter 3 verse 20. Revelation 3 20. Jesus is talking to the, the church at Ephesus. No, I'm sorry. Forgive me. What is it? Laodicea. Laodicea. Okay. I knew as soon as I said that, that that was not right. I'm glad I've got someone here that can keep me straight. He, let's look at what he says. Now, this is the bread of life talking here. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and do what? Dine. He wants to eat with you. And he with me. Okay, the transcendent God, the creator of all heaven and earth and the universes, the creator of all souls, wants fellowship with his people. And we are not fulfilled until we find him, until we open that door and we sit. And we dine with him. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Face to face eating with each other. It's good for relationships. Experts in the field tell us that sharing mealtimes is good for your, your mental and, and your, your spirit. Well, your mental and emotional health. Whether it be through sharing experiences with family and friends, winding down with company, bonding with family members, or just having someone to talk to. Mealtimes provide a great opportunity for us to set aside a specific time of the day or week to give us time to socialize, relax, and improve our mental health. Regular mealtimes which are shared provide a sense of rhythm and regularity in lives. They offer a sense of containment and familiarity and can evoke deep feelings of contentment and security. Mealtimes offer the opportunity to stop, stand still psychologically, reflect on your day and days ahead, and listen and interact with others. 
Mealtimes are also a grounding opportunity, a time when anxieties can be expressed and you can be listened to. I don't know what your meal times are like. I know today it's different since the invention of the cell phone, okay? You're talking to each other across the table through texting one another, right? But I remember when Danae and Heather were growing up that we made it a point as a family to always have dinner together. You know, it wasn't grab what you can and you go to this room and you go to your room and I go on my computer. We all sat and ate together. And what I remember most, and they might have a different story, they might have about sounds that I made that were inappropriate, but I remember the laughter. I remember the joy. I remember some of the heartfelt discussions. And usually we were talking about all, all y'all, all the other people <laughs> of our day. It was just a beautiful time of bonding and it made us close. In Matthew chapter 11 and Luke chapter 7, Jesus is called a glutton, one who eats with sinners, right? Matter of fact, it's just like every time they turned around, they found him eating with someone. Well, they didn't understand. He's just getting to know his creation. He's getting to know people. How wonderful that he wants to eat with you, with me. All right? So the showbread, the bread of presence, <clears throat> it's representative of having fellowship with Jesus, the bread of life. And he invites us to dine with him. And the fact that God commanded the showbread to be changed out weekly demonstrates he wants fresh fellowship with you. He doesn't want your stale leftovers. He doesn't want your brief, how you doing God, good to see you, see you later. All right. He wants fresh fellowship. So the question I have then, how, for how many of us is our fellowship with God stale? Is that what you're experiencing? If you're going to be honest about it? Um, have you lost your joy? Have you lost your sense of humor? Did you used to laugh more and enjoy God more? Have the difficulties of life just caused you to lose your joy and your relationship with God because you just feel all of these burdens? And let me ask you this. Are you satisfied with that? Is this okay with you? Not to be judgmental. I'm just trying to refocus your intention for the purpose you were created. Not to be religious, but to have that relationship, an intimate relationship. When's the last time you had a time with God that you, you weren't worried about getting busted for some sin that you had committed? Or where you were not overwhelmed with worry or distracted with over-demanding schedules? Can you look back and see if there's a time when you loved him and enjoyed him more? It's the last time that you can say that you really were close with God when you were on that retreat, you know? You had to come home, didn't you? But you didn't want to. Well, guys, that high that you had on the retreat is, is available to you. The same God who met you up there is this God who will meet you here and now. I have a couple verses for you. Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Here he is talking to the church at Ephesus. And he tells them in verse 4 of chapter 2, I have this against you, 
You've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you've fallen, and repent and do your first works. Express your love for him and to him the way you did when you first got saved. Assuming, of course, when you got, first got saved, you were just totally stoked. And you were just enjoying his presence. And you were so in love with God. Do you remember that time? I remember. I, became a, I went from being a secret agent for Christ to being Dennis the Baptist and couldn't keep my mouth shut. Then look at chapter 3, verse 2. And this is the exhortation for this morning. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain and are ready to die. In other words, guys, press in. Don't, don't settle for a mediocre relationship with your God. Don't try to manufacture fire that's not there. Don't try to be real religious. Just get real before God. Confess your sins. Confess your staleness, your hardness of heart. And allow him to melt it as he speaks to you through his word. Let me ask you right now. Have I given you any scripture so far this morning that has been encouraging to you in any way? If that's true, lay hold of that. Lay hold of that. That's your God speaking to you. Psalm 63, 1. You can turn there if you like. Psalm 63. It's a psalm written by David um, when he was running from Absalom, his son. If you remember the story, Absalom had uh, usurped David's throne. He had won the people over and he chased his dad out and he's actually running for his life. And this psalm was actually written in Engedi, which was a place that we went to on our trip. And it is a dry, barren place. Lots of brown rocks, caves, and all these little conies running around making fun of you. Their conies are like um, hamsters on steroids. Okay? They're climbing trees and they're, they're looking at you. And if you don't have food for them, then they don't have any time for you. But anyway... This is one of the most trying times of his life. And look what he says in verse 1. God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Notice he's not asking for literal food or water or comfort or rest or even his son's head on a platter. He wants communion with God. He wants that intimate fellowship. Because bottom line, when God is all you have, God is all you need. When we find ourselves stressed out with some crisis and illness or setback, we tend to draw back from fellowship. Have you noticed that? I'm just too stressed out. I can't even go to church. What's that all about? This is the place where you need to be. So that you can be loved and nourished by the word of God and by the saints of God. But more than that, you need to get into his presence. You need to press in. But I don't feel like it. Well, what's feelings got to do with it? Right? Like Tina Turner. What's love got to do with it? What are feelings got to do with it, got to do with it? Nothing. You need 
by faith to press in. Let me take you to another verse that you may not have known is in your Bible. Hosea 6.3. Hosea 6.3. It's in the Old Testament. Past the Psalms. Past the major prophets into the minor prophets. Small books. Hosea 6. I'll give you a second. Some of you guys are wiping the dust off the pages on that one. (laughs) Hosea chapter 6, look at verse 3. So let us know. Let us, what's that say? Press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. To me, that, I don't know what that does for you. I and mean, that's just precious. That is such an encouragement. It says, press in to know him. And he's going to water you like he sends rain to a dry and thirsty earth. Did you get irritated yesterday with all the rain? It was coming down hard, wasn't it? At least where I was, it was coming down pretty hard. Okay. And how desperate does our Arizona need that water? And when we desperately need him, He's there. Okay, let's put some shoe leather on this now. Let's get some application. What's the table of showbread got to do with actual prayer? You know what it has to do with fellowship now, right? You understand that concept? All right, well, let's review. We've entered his gates with thanksgiving and praise, right? We're we're intentionally spending some time with the Lord now. We've entered his gates with thanksgiving and praise. We've done business with him at the altar, confessing our sins. We're forgiving others. We're committing ourselves as living sacrifices. And we've come to the labor where we've been washed with the water of the word and we'll bathe all of our prayer requests with his truth. And then we come into the holy place where we will be ministering in prayer for golden, for golden ministries, for ministries at the golden lampstand, and then praying for our friends and family at the altar of incense. But before we pray for them, we come to the table of showbread to pray for our own needs. Because Jesus told us to do that. Matthew chapter 6, our Father, who art in heaven, he says, you know, so you want to pray? This is how you pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Give us this day our... Ooh. You can ask for, pray for your needs before you pray for everyone else. Doesn't that sound a little selfish? Isn't it more noble to pray for everyone else first and you go last? I mean, isn't that what they tell you when you're serving your birthday cake? John Corson said this. Blessings are like measles. You can't give them unless you got them. (laughs) If I'm going to be a blessing to my kids at home, to the people in my neighborhood, to my friends at work, I need to be blessed myself. Therefore, I freely and frankly say, Father, I got needs. All God's children's got needs. But you can't bless unless you've been blessed. I, I recorded a few needs in the Bible because I know that, that you know you have needs. 
But remember Hagar? Remember Hagar? Um, got kicked to the curb by Abraham and Sarah, right? I mean, they didn't give her, you know, a two-week severance. They just gave her a loaf of bread and a thing of water and put on a camel and said, there, adios. And, and of course, it ran out real fast, and, and she's, they're dying of thirst. They're dying in the heat. Her, her son's under a, a bush trying to survive in the shade, and that's what she needs. Her and her son need to survive. And she cried out. She says, let me not see the death of the boy. And she sat opposite him, lifted up her voice, and she wept. And then a voice came out and said, I see you. Right? And gave her a promise that her son was going to be a, a great nation. And what did she say? Jehovah Lahairoi, the God who sees. He saw me. He's there. How awesome is that? I would be saying, where's the water? But okay. Well, if you know God sees you, you know the water's just around the corner. That was her need. Hannah, remember Hannah? In 1 Samuel, uh, this is Samuel's mother, of course. Uh, when we were in Israel, remember we got to stand right there at uh, the, um, in Shiloh, where this actually took place. And we got to stand there where the tabernacle was actually set up in Shiloh, standing on the form itself. It was just incredible. And I was thinking of this story. She's, she's crying, right? She's crying out. Well, first she cried out to her husband, Elkanah, because she didn't have any children. And back then is when they really wanted to have children. They wanted to have lots of children. Okay? That was a status thing. Uh, plus it helped with doing the chores around the house. Okay? She wants so mad to have a child. And she goes to Elkanah and says, why won't you give me children? And he's looking around, and you know, he's got another wife, and she's got a brood, and, and he says, it's not me. Okay, and so she goes to the tabernacle, and she meets Eli the priest, and she's crying. So she's such in bitter pain that Eli thinks she's drunk. She says, I'm not drunk, man. I'm just bummed. I am just totally so bummed because I want to have a son. And then he said, okay, this time next year, you'll have a son. That was her need, okay? That was her need. Then, you know, when you go into the New Testament, and there's lots of stories. I'm just pulling out a few. Um, Mary, Jesus' mother, she's at this wedding in Cana, right? Jesus is there too. And they ran out of wine. So she goes to Jesus and she says, you know, make wine. And, of course, he looks at her and says, are you out of your mind? You know, that's a, I don't, you know, I'm just not like a, you know, a magic kid. Just, come on, magic boy, make some wine. I'm, okay, I'm really paraphrasing here. I hope it's all right with you. But, you know, like most moms do, she just looked at the servant and says, ah, just do what he says to do. And what did he do? He turned water into wine, didn't he? Now, what was the spiritual significance of that? What is the theological lesson that we learn from the turning of water into wine? Most commentators can't find one. The only reason he would do that is simply for the joy, the joy of the people who were there. Do you think God would answer your prayers just because it would make you happy? Yes, he absolutely would. He absolutely would. And then there's the people who needed healing in the New Testament. And there were a lot of people. You notice that? There were over 38 people who were healed in Matthew, 
Matthew Muk, Matthew Luke, Mark, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, whatever. Um, but as Paul found out, not all prayers for healing are answered by healing. But all are answered by sufficient grace. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9. And you can turn there if you like. Or I'll just read it to you. 2 Corinthians 12, 8, and 9. <clears throat> Paul had an issue with his eyes. Uh, he wanted to be healed. He certainly knew that God could. He had healed many people himself by laying on of hands in Jesus' name. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So Paul had an attitude shift. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, I, I don't think I would have been as gracious as Paul. I think I was saying, well, your grace is fine. I like that. Thank you. But I really want to be healed. I really want to be healed. But yet God will pour out his grace to you that you may endure, persevere with joy. <clears throat> That's a need. And then you remember Peter, right? Peter found himself in trouble with the IRS. Right? They came to collect taxes, and he didn't have any money to pay the taxes. So he prayed. He asked Jesus for money. And what did Jesus tell him? Go fish. Go fish. And, of course, they found the gold coin in the fish's mouth. And then there was that time when Peter um, needed to be saved from drowning, right? When he stepped out in faith into walking on the water. And, uh, and then he realized that Archimedes' principle was, was being violated here. And so he began to sink. And he said what? Really, really quick, he said, save me, Lord. That was it. And Jesus saved him. So the point I guess I'm making here is that what are your needs? What are your needs? Now you have what you are, your perceived needs are. But you have God's promise that he will meet your real needs. And sometimes you and him are going to have to have a talk about what your real needs are. And that's that part of that fellowship process. That's part of that thing we talked about last week where you cast your cares on him and he keeps letting the ball of cares roll back on you. You start talking with him, you're getting into his word, and you realize what your real need is. But you serve God whose name is Jehovah Jireh. The God who will provide. Jehovah Rophe, the Lord who heals. And that implies spiritual, emotional, as well as physical healing. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord your banner. Um, they used to use banners on, on battlefields to direct troops. If they wanted a certain segment of the troops to go flank the enemy on the other side, they would hold up a banner for that. Or if they wanted them to all gather in another place, they would hold up a banner for that, right? In the midst of a battle, sometimes you need direction, don't you? You need help. God is your banner. He will guide. He will direct. He is Jehovah Mikadesh, um, the Lord who sanctifies, who makes you holy. Hmm. tells us in the Bible that without holiness, no one will see God, meaning that you will not perceive his purposes. You will not understand what's going on. You need that holiness. When's the last time you prayed for holiness? Then there's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. 
Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord is our righteousness. Are we not the righteousness of Christ? We are Jehovah Rofi, Rohi, the Lord our shepherd, and Jehovah Shama, the Lord who is there. And sometimes that's enough just to know that he's there. Just to know. Turn to Psalm 55:22. We're going to close with these few verses. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Does that verse remind you of anything in the New Testament? Yeah, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him, for he cares you can translate that last phrase, he cares for you, is that you are his personal concern. And then Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. My God shall supply what? All. How much is all? It's pretty much all. Everything you need, he will provide for you. He is Jehovah Jireh. Is anything too hard for our God? I'm his personal concern. He's going to provide for my needs. We might have to have a discussion about what my needs are, but he's going to provide. Let me quote Chuck Smith here. Isn't that a glorious promise? Take hold of it tonight or this morning. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now who can measure that kind of riches? If God spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how much more then shall he not freely give us all things? There's a psalm that says that he will withhold no good thing from you. He will withhold nothing from you that's good for you. F.B. Meyer said, when once the soul lives in God and finds its highest ideal in the fulfillment of his will, it becomes absolutely assured that all things which are necessary will be added. All things are possible to those who derive their daily strength from God. I hope that this excites you to get back home so you can get into that prayer closet and have an alone time with God. If you're listening, if you're listening, you're hearing a knock right now. And you're hearing his voice. Let him in. And enter into a time of that precious intimacy, which will be a balm for your soul. Amen? Let's all stand, please. Well... Thank you for giving me your Sunday morning, for allowing me to speak into your life. And I pray that I have done that. And I pray that you are encouraged and that your faith is stronger now than it was when you first walked in. Um, So let me pray for you and pray for us. Then we will sing the doxology and go get a pizza. Okay. Father.
give you praise for being that transcendent, sovereign, all-knowing, all-powerful God who loves his creation. Thank you that you do not need to be appeased for your son's sacrifice made us right with you and that appeased you. So nothing we can bring to you will appease you. But our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving, they honor you and they express our faith and faith is pleasing to you. So Father, would you please cause your love to abound in us? May you help us please to walk in the spirit so that we do not fulfill the lust of the flesh. May we find the promise that you will supply all of our needs through your riches in Christ Jesus be true. Please meet us, Father, in our spiritual, financial, physical need according to your riches in, in Christ. And Father, bless these precious people. Keep them, make your face to shine on them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. I pray this in the matchless, mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. all right, let's sing the doxology nice and loud and proud. See you next week or here, there, or in the air.